Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can keep them handy, but this morning we're going to cover a number of different passages of Scripture that will appear on the screens for you to make it easier. Or also you can use the YouVersion app that has all the notes and all the Scriptures of what we're going to cover this morning together. But if you're visiting, we're glad you're here, but we're now jumping back in to kind of help you catch up. We're jumping back into a series that we started in the fall, in September, and it's called The Gospel Shapes. And we've been talking through how this reality called the gospel, which I'll kind of give some context in a moment, actually touches and influences and shapes every aspect of our lives. We just sometimes are unaware of that. So what is the gospel? In its simplest form, the gospel is the good news that is spread out over all human history that God has sent Jesus into the world to die, to rise from the dead, to for us to, through him, be reconnected back to God. You think, why do I need to be reconnected back to God? Because all of us, at one time or another, we have disconnected from God. And the way that happens is when, just what ha- like what happened with Adam and Eve back at the beginning of time, where God offers his leadership, his wisdom, his guidance, his relationship in life, and you and I say, mm, no thanks, I'll do it on my own. I'll make my own decisions. I'll choose what's right and wrong for myself. And in that process, we disconnect ourselves from God. And when we disconnect ourselves from God, that's where we start to lose our understanding of what it means to be human, how God created us, We lose the capacity to truly flourish and experience contentment in life because we're disconnected from the very source that created us. We're disconnected from God. So when Jesus comes, it's the good news. It's the gospel where Jesus is now taking all of our sin and brokenness, all of our bad ideas about life, and he's forgiven those so that we're now reconnected with God. When that happens in the human soul, there's not one aspect of our lives that is not touched. And that's why we're going through this whole series called The Gospel Shapes, because we're asking, how does the gospel shape all these different areas of our life? And so this morning, we're going to talk about something that, for the majority of us, this category of our life falls outside of what we would call spiritual in our lives. It's our work or our career or our job. In fact, it's interesting when you think about it. Most people spend one-third of their life working. One-third of your life is spent in this particular quadrant or segment of life. Yet for most of us, what we look and we look at our jobs or our careers as is a, it's, it's a money maker to fuel the rest of our lives. So if we're wanting to fulfill God's purpose or will in our life, usually work falls outside of that and, f- and work just falls into the category. This is the fuel to help me to want to do stuff with my family, to buy a, a house or get a car or have a retirement or do what all the things, but somehow work is just this thing over here that gets in the way of the rest of living. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Instead of being actually part of God's purpose for our lives, which we're we're gonna talk about this morning, actually it is. But before we even get to talking about how the gospel shapes our career or work, we have to really kind of understand something that is kind of where the foundation, where we always go wrong when it comes to what we do in our lives. What we do is determined by who we are, not the other way around. So many times our identity gets wrapped up in something that we do, our work, our performance, our career. How do we know that's true? Well, not always, but many times when you meet somebody for the first time, somebody will eventually ask the question, what do you do? And you know, it's interesting, the majority of us, and it's not that it's, it's a wrong way to answer the question, but a lot of times when we're responding to what do we do as though that's the end all for our lives, we say, I am a fill in the blank. What is that? That's not a job. That's an identity. And so what we become is we become our work, and our work defines us as opposed to uh, understanding of how the gospel shapes work can only be understood if you and I understand we have a separate identity apart from our work, but it influences everything about our work. 
what is that identity? Well, the simplest thing is, and we've talked about this before if you've been at Antioch, is there's a number of passages I want to start with that, that this, is, this is important. How does the gospel shape our work? It first shapes who we are and gives us an identity. And here's the identity. It's defined for us in the scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes this. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So when you say yes to Jesus, what is happening is that you and I are saying yes to the offer of God to adopt us into his family. Why is that so significant? Obviously, a biological child is given by God's blessing into somebody's life, but that child doesn't choose the family, and the family doesn't choose the child. An adoption, there's a choice on both sides. There's a choice of the child, but there's most importantly of the apparent choosing a child. Why? Because they choose to give their affection and their name and their identity to that child to give them a sense of value in the world. That's what the Bible says God does for us. When you say yes to Jesus, there's this adoption that goes on. Now we belong to God and our primary identity, just like when you come into a family and you're adopted, you take on the last name of that family. We take on the name of God. What is the name of God, the identity for us? It is son and daughter of God. That's our primary identity. Listen, going on, John uh, 1, verse 12. says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And then going on, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That is the primary identity of every person who said yes to Jesus over what you do, what role you play, whether you're male, female, or husband, wife, single, your primary identity is you belong to God and everything, everything comes from that foundation. It's when we get it backwards where our foundation is what we do and that's what identifies us, that's where we go wrong. But this morning what we're gonna talk about is the reality of how our identity and our career are mixed but how the primary understanding of what we do in life is shaped out of who we are. And when we start with that foundation, then literally the gospel shapes every aspect of our lives. So I want to start with three things, and as I mentioned, there'll be some passage on the scripture of this idea of identity and career and, and three key things to understand. The first thing is this. Your identity, child of God, if you've said yes to Jesus, determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. That's where it starts with your identity. As a child of God, God has influence and desired outcome for your career path. It's not this job over here that I do and then the rest of my real life over here. God actually has a purpose for that. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 says this, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Whatever I do in life, what is for God to work in me and through me. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is such a comprehensive passage. Let me just read this because this applies to work and everything that we do. Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I, I want you just to think about this for a moment. When we say yes to Jesus, we become a living sacrifice. And a sacrifice is not a bad thing. It's a good thing when it's for the right purpose which means that in life, if our identity is child of God, then what we do in our lives ultimately is stemmed out of that, then there's a question that always has to come. God, am I doing with my life what you want me to do with my life? Am I working in the job or the career that you want me to work in in my life? 
That's a question we all have to ask, and we have to ask that ongoingly because there's, a, there's an answer to that question that may actually upset you or adjust you or, or change the trajectory of your life because God is the one who's given you the identity, and that identity shapes who you are. Let me give you in the, in the context of a, a friend of mine. So when you're in a job and you have a certain idea of what you're doing, it, it may be something that is you're, you're the head of a company or you may be somebody who you sit in front of a desk and you move paper clips around. I don't know whatever your job is. But you end up, you're in this, this context, but God shapes that. And so therefore, you have to ask the question, God, is this what you want me to do? So a, a good friend of mine, uh, he went to the University of Iowa and he graduated with a PhD in biomechanics. It is a very interesting and complicated field. And the reason he did that is that he was very interested in physical therapy, but specifically how it relates to athletes and the function of their body in the, in the way to avoid injury and performance. So he went, he, and he was top of his class. In fact, he ended up teaching a little bit at the University of Iowa. And then he got his dream job. Nike hired him. And Nike hired him at a very high level because he had a very specific skill set that he had developed in his education and understanding. And he did physical therapy a number of years before he, they hired him. And when they hired him, this, is, he, this was his dream job. In fact, it was my dream job, but I wasn't a biomechanic, so I couldn't do it. But he was designing shoes for, for Nike's elite athletes, shoes that would help them to perform at the highest level without, with avoiding injury. So he, he developed shoes for Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony. In fact, the crazy thing is he was sitting in, in parts of the meetings where Kobe Bryant and LeBron James were signing their initial contracts with Nike. He got to be there. I'm like, dude, this is like died and gone to heaven for me, right? And so he said, yeah, and he did that for a number of years, but he realized as he was doing that over and over again, he was working lots of hours, he was making lots of money, he was traveling to China quite frequently because that's where obviously manufacturing was for Nike. And so he was spending all this time doing this, but something inside of him was unsettled because God had, done, had, had placed something in his, in his life about who he is, knowing what God had done. He was one of the most generous people I've ever met, and he realized the job he was working in, although he was making lots of money, wasn't affording him the opportunity to be generous with his life and his resources. So he started questioning, God, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And at the same time, his brother, who was also a very successful businessman, was asking the same question because both of them had this desire to be generous with God's kingdom. So both of them simultaneously had this, this dialogue and then they come together and they said, you know what? We're gonna quit our jobs and we're gonna go into business together to make money for one purpose, to be generous for the kingdom of God. So they did. He quit Nike. He walked away from Nike. He walked away from LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Are you crazy? And then he and his brother went into something they had absolutely no idea how to do, printing. They just realized that they thought they could make money printing. And they did. They bought a, com a printing company in Beaverton, Oregon, and they, they turned the thing around and they started making money. And a huge chunk of their budget went out to mission around the world and obviously through the church that they were part of. And he did that for a number of years. And even in that, he was always asking the question, God, is this what you want me to do with my life? Is this what you want me to do with my life? And, and that was probably four or five years he was doing that with his brother. And they were making money. And they were extending God's kingdom around the world with their generosity. And then George Fox University, which is in Newburgh, Oregon, started, wanted to start a physical therapy program. And they put this profile together. And they sent this profile all over the country to the East Coast and the South, everywhere, looking for a specific person that had a specific education, background, and understanding of what they wanted their physical therapy program to look like. They did this for like months and months and months, and no candidates that even fit it. No, nobody made it. And so somehow through a connection, uh, somebody went to the, the person who kind of the search committee, and they said, I think I know who you're looking for. He lives two blocks away from your campus. 
in Newburgh, Oregon. And they said, what's his name? And I'm not going to give you his name, but anyway, this is his name. And so he, they invited him to an interview, and it, it was amazing. When he sat in the interview, every single thing that he had done, both education and experience, was exactly what they were looking for, as if God had orchestrated his life for this moment. So he became, I think it's now going on about eight years, eight or nine years, he became the head of the physical therapy department. They started the program at George Fox University, which has become a very successful PT program with a specific focus. Every year, once or twice a year, he takes a group of students who are in the program and they go to Africa to help specifically people struggling with disabilities in Africa, which is a huge deal. It's true, this is true of Haiti as well. When you have a disability in a country like that, there is superstition that goes along with it that something is wrong with you. There's a demon in you. There's something that, that you, you did or your parents did to cause that in your life. And so they don't get care in other countries. There is no physical therapy program in many countries in Africa. So now they're beginning to start one. So this is his focus, again, giving his life away. And I don't know if this is the end of his story. I don't know what he'll do the, for the rest of his life. But I know one thing's for sure. Because he knows what God has done in his life, he's constantly asking the question, God, is this what you want me to do with my life? And as I shared that, did you notice I never mentioned one, one thing he did inside the church? He had a career that took him outside the church but he lived out God's purpose in his life. Why? Because he knew who he was in Jesus. And as a result of that, it shaped what he did with his career. Second thing, our identity and career also, we have to understand that your identity determines how you do it. Not just what you do, but how you go about doing the job that you have. The Bible has a lot to say about how we work and the way we work. And here's a couple of verses to remind us. It talks about hard work. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, which is the grave, which means while you're here, God calls you to work hard and be committed to that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as, the, as for the Lord and not for men. Anybody need a reminder that the boss that you don't like is not the one that you work for? You work for Jesus. And that makes bosses that are not very easy to get along with more tolerable. Why? Because ultimately the person who is over your life is not your boss. It's Jesus himself. You work for him. There's your motivating factor. A couple other things about working honestly. Proverbs uh, chapter or 21, verse 6 says, Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. Proverbs 28, 18, Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. So why is this so important? Because there's a way we live our life, there's a way we go about work that is shaped out of the identity of who we are. If I'm a child of God, I'm, I'm, I am adopted into God's family through the grace of God, through Jesus' death and resurrection in my life, then that shapes everything about me. The way that God wants me to live my life is also the way that God wants me to work in my job. And this is important, why? Because who you are shapes how you do what you do. Here's a couple of examples that, that really, and this is from kind of the top down, this is from organizations that were founded and built on Christian principles, but they're not Christian organizations. They're for-profit businesses. You've probably heard of them. Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out, okay? Chicken or beef, both of them work, okay? Oh, most people know the story of both of those companies, but Chick-fil-A, for instance, now Chick-fil-A's been in the media because of its stance on morality regards to marriage. And so it, it gets this negative name in the culture. But Chick-fil-A is one of the most successful businesses in America. It is actually the third most profitable fast food chain in the United States behind McDonald's and Subway. And it only does chicken. 
and it does it really well. But one of the things that's interesting, because when the company was started, it was based on a rhythm of life that embraced the principles were in Scripture based on somebody who was a follower of Jesus. And because of that, one of the things that the owner embedded into the business model was a thing called Sabbath, which was the anti, the against, the opposite of what business would tell you to do. So ever since Chick-fil-A has been in, in business, and those of you who like Chick-fil-A know that today it's not open. It's closed on Sundays. And why is that? Because the owner embedded in, this, in the business model that even if, if, if employees are not followers of Jesus, they still should practice rest. So nobody works on Sunday. You know, I was reading an article this week on it, and people in, 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 in the business world, some of the people get it, some people, like, they just, they look at Chick-fil-A and they scratch their head and they can't figure it out. And so some have come up with this idea that actually the founder of Chick-fil-A really wasn't about Sabbath. It was a savvy business model to make people desire chicken on Sundays so that they'll pile into Chick-fil-A on Monday and the business will go up. <laughs> Had nothing to do with that, but guess what? It has happened but I, has, I think that has to do more with the blessing of God than it has anything to do with the business model. In and out, same concept. Started by a Jewish family that came to know Jesus and embedded in their, their kind of idea of how they do business is a number of values that come out of their Christian faith, which is a high value for people. So actually one of the written values of in and out is to treat employees like family. And that's why if you ever work it, if you worked it in and out, you will work hard, but you will get paid more than anybody else in your industry. That's how they attract good employees. And, the, and over the years, they've, they've, they have a business model that they use a lot of their proceeds to go after specific things going on in the world. So a number of years ago, they had a big initiative where they used a lot of their, their income to go after domestic violence in the home and how to address that. Recently, they started a whole new campaign that's going after human tra trafficking across the world. And they're using their resources that they make from burgers and fries to go change people's lives all over the world. Where does that come from? That comes from this understanding that God loves people. And if you're a child of God, it shapes the way you do business. And so I share those because you and I have to understand, you don't have to be the head of In-N-Out or the founder of Chick-fil-A to understand that how you do your job is shaped by who you are. So that means whether you're sitting at a desk or you're a construction worker or you're, you're in whatever industry that you're in, what you're doing is shaped by who you are, which means the values of what it means to follow Jesus dictates and shapes the way that you do your job because that reflects the nature of God, which we'll talk about in just a moment. The third thing of our identity and career is to understand this. Your identity determines why you do it. So it's, it's first of all the fact that you have this reality of what you do, the way you do it, and why. So listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul reminds us this. He says, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all, what, for the glory of God. That's it. Everything you do, every thought, every action is all for the glory of God, including your work. And then Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is very comprehensive. This is really important. This applies to work as it applies to every part of our life. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. That means my old ideas and nature and who I used to be died when Jesus died on the cross when I give my life to him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that mean? If I say yes to Jesus, I'm adopted into God's family, I'm a child of God, I'm not living anymore. Jesus is living through me. So that means my job, my career, my work is him living through me. And so that means there's a different reason of why I work. I don't work just to make money. I work what ultimately we'll talk about for God's purpose in my life. 
But that means when I, when I understand the why behind it, that means there's a bigger picture in my life than just nine to five going to work every day. There's something bigger that God is at work in, and it's shaped by me doing a job in my life that reflects who God is. This is so important. This is why it should be that an employer looks at people and says, I want to hire somebody who follows Jesus because they're going to be the best employee possible. It shouldn't be like, oh boy, I don't want those Christians working at my company. It should be the opposite. Somebody who's a follower of Jesus should be the most attractive candidate for any job. Why? Because they are living their life and doing their job out of the identity of who they are, which is founded on God's grace through Jesus, that we belong to God. That should shape everything. See, if you and I look at our jobs that way, it doesn't matter what job you work in and how much, let's be honest, you hate your job, because at one time or another, and even now, some, all of us can admit, I've had a job that I hated. Anybody want to admit? If your boss is in the room, probably don't leave rich your hand right now. But we've all had that, right? So you're like, well, how, how is that going to be good for God to do anything in my life? I can't even stand my job. I've got to get out of there. But it's the way you do it and the motivation behind it, the why. Because you're doing it for God. And if you're doing it for God, there's a bigger purpose. Here's an example. Most of us have heard of this guy named Joseph from the Old Testament. And Joseph, not by choice, ended up in a, in a number of different contexts and was doing jobs that he would have never chosen to do on his own, but they were forced upon him. So if you don't know his story, he's, his brothers, wonderful brothers, sold him into slavery, great guys. So when he ends up as a slave in a guy named Potiphar's household, instead of doing what many of us might do is what we'd get bitter and get mad at God. God, I don't want to do this. Why did you get me or my brothers? were unfair to me. This is not fair. God, where did you go? What does he do? He becomes the best slave in Potiphar's household. He does everything he's supposed to do, and he does it well. So what happens is Potiphar, a man of wealth and influence, puts Joseph over his entire household because he's the best slave he can be. But then you, you don't know the story goes on. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of coming on to her, and so he gets thrown into prison. Now you're thinking, man, finally now Joseph's got to get bitter. Sold by his brothers, and then he's a slave, then he gets falsely accused. Now he's in prison. He's got to be bitter at some point, and he's not. He sees it as another opportunity for God to work in his life. So what does he do? He becomes the best prisoner possible to the point where the warden puts him over the entire prison, over all the prisoners. That's crazy. But then he's somewhat languishing and in prison and people are forgetting him when they get out and he's telling people, when you get out of prison, tell Pharaoh about my case. Let me get free from here. And finally, God, through, through God's work, Pharaoh calls him out and here's his story. And obviously Joseph interprets a dream of Pharaoh and Pharaoh understands it. And then as the story goes on, Joseph ends up being second in command of Pharaoh. And from what we can tell in history, this is what's incredible. Joseph at one time, even though Pharaoh was the head because of the power and authority was given to Joseph, Joseph was literally the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Why? Because he looked at how he was doing his job and the motivation behind it and God had a bigger picture. And if you read through the story of Joseph in, in Genesis, Joseph actually says what, what man was going to cause for evil, God has used for good in the saving of many lives. He saved an entire family. He saved the nation. Why? Because he looked at his job and he realized there's a bigger picture going on here and how I do this today will determine what happens tomorrow. So I'm going to do the best I possibly can now. How did he do that? Because he did it out of an identity of who he was in Jesus or who he was in God at the time. So I share those things because it's important for us to understand there's this important connection between who we are and what we do and how we do it. But there's a, this thing that we're talking about. It was true for Joseph. It's true for us. God actually has a purpose for your work or your job or your career. And it isn't just making money and it isn't just advancement. And it isn't just a retirement fund. 
God has a bigger purpose. So let me, let me outline that, which is the first one. God will use your work to fulfill his purpose. It's embedded in who you are as a human being. So let me just read a couple passages. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, God created humanity to work. He created us to work. That's what gives us a sense of accomplishment and a sense of being human. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, we know that God creates Adam and he puts him in the garden. It says this, the Lord God took Adam, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God creates a garden, not just for its beauty, but for its potential to be worked. And so now Adam finds himself in that context. And that's part of what it means to be human, is to have an outlet of work in our lives, or career, or job. Can we go back to Genesis chapter 1? If you go back a chapter, this is verse 26 and 27. I want to read this. Many of you probably heard this passage, but listen to what said here. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds and the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the, the, the word image does mean likeness, but it also has a, a heavier weight to it. It means representative. So there's this representative quality that God puts in human beings that this is what God has done. He creates the universe, and he creates the world. He creates humanity, and then, because we're in his image, he says to us, now you get to work it. Now you get to tend to it. Now you get to care for it. I've given it to you, why? Because it's part of the purpose of what it means to be human. So it's embedded in us, and so God has this purpose that when we work, we're actually participating in one of the reasons why God gave us breath in our lungs and blood in our veins is to be a part of something that's bigger than us, to work, to be a part of a job, to be a part of a career. And that means that everything that we have, if, if God's entrusted uh, to us, like he did to Adam, he said, Adam's supposed to what? Tend to the garden, work the garden then every job you have, whether you like it or not, God has given you to tend and work, to develop, to make it better than it was when you were given it. That's called being a good steward. God has given us creation and the world to work, to be good stewards of what he's presented. We are representatives of God. That means when you do what you think is the most menial job, you're a representation of who God is in that context. You are doing what God has called you to do. And if you look at it that way, you look at your job differently now. Why? Because it's a part of the outflow of who it is to, what it is to, to be created. So you think about whatever job you have, even if it's the worst job possible, is that job and is that organization better because you're an employee and better after you leave? The answer should always be yes. Why? Because you lived out a part of what God has said is true of your life, that you were put on this earth to be a part of work and to invest in that and make it productive. That's what we're supposed to do. But so think about that. Is that our commitment in all of life? That everything that I do, because I'm doing it for the glory of God, ultimately I do it better and I do it well because I want it to be better when I leave than it was when I came. So Kim and I, I think, have lived, lived in, I don't know, 15 or 16 different houses and, and apartments in our life. We've, we got it up one time. I think in one season, we actually, in like six, seven years, we moved six times. We just loved to move, yeah. Our friends didn't like us very much at that time of life, but... But I know one thing that Kim and I, because we were raised and because being followers of Jesus, we always had this, this kind of unspoken commitment. Every place that we lived, we treated like it was ours. Every place that we rented, every house or apartment, we treated like it was ours. So we took care of it. At our own expense, we would buy paint and repaint things. We would do landscaping at our own expense. We would do all these things. Why? When we left that house or that apartment, we wanted it to be better. Why? Because we were living there and we had a sense of pride in where we were living, even though we didn't own it. It belonged to somebody else. And I'll tell you that, that that is a reflection of the nature of who God is in you. If you've ever wondered, if you want to 
have landlords look at you and wonder what in the world's going is up with you. Be a good tenant as uh, to a landlord, and they will see there's something different about you. Why? Because you treat this like it's your own. Every lawn that I've ever mowed in a house that's rented, I mow as though it's my own. Every flower bed that's <laughs> in the house that was rented, I treat it like it was my own. Why? Because it, in my sense, in, not, in a sense for me, it was my own. Why? Because I've been entrusted for a season. This is what I'm supposed to have. The job that you have right now, God has entrusted you, not your employer. God has entrusted you with something to work the soil or to work it and to make it better. Why? Because you're reflecting the nature of who he is. So our work has very much importance to God's purpose in our life and in the world. Second thing is God uses your work to prosper you. He actually will use your work to prosper you in, in your life. So let me read a couple of passages that remind us of this. So it's God's blessing, his prosperity, his provision comes through work. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Psalm 128, verse 2. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Ecclesiastes 3.13, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. There's something about working and God blessing you and prospering you and providing for you that brings a sense of satisfaction in every person. And that's part of what work is supposed to be. If work is done, regardless if it's done as a CEO or the lowest person in an, in an organization, if it's done with this understanding that God is using this to prosper me and bless me and provide for me, then I do it to the best of my ability in understanding that there's some satisfaction in that because I'm doing what God's called me to do. When you are satisfied in a job, it, it translates into other people's lives. But you have to understand that that means that whatever you have in front of you is the job that God's called you to. And because of that, that's the very thing, the vehicle he's using to bless you and prosper you in your life. Even when you don't like the job. Because that's usually, most, most people I talk to, probably more than 50% don't like the job that they do. They just have to go to work. That's why nobody really like, I can't wait till Monday morning comes around, right? That's why we love three-day weekends and vacations. So when I got out of college, the first job that I had being paid to be in, in, on staff at a church, uh, I was given the title of youth pastor, and then I eventually became associate pastor, which, by the way, associate pastor in any church means the catch-all role. Ask John Looney. He knows. That's why he's going to go plant Canvas Church, right? So he can go tell somebody else to do all the other stuff. No, no that's not why he's going, by the way. He's going because God's called him to go. But, but when I got on staff, I had this idea when I got out of college that all of us do, if you've trained for a specific career, you envision what your job's gonna look like. Anybody with me on that? And it's amazing. In your mind, it is amazing. And in my mind, I'm gonna preach, I'm gonna save people, it's gonna be great. And then I got there and I realized that about 75% of my job had nothing to do with preaching or teaching anybody. It wasn't sitting in office and counseling anybody. It was administration and it was facility work. That's what I was hired to do. I'm thinking, I went through college for this? And I was over facilities at the church I was at, which meant I had a part-time person who I was over that was overseeing facilities, but they couldn't be at all the events and do all the cleaning, so guess who had to do it? Me. And I remember, I, I was kind of handy, but not really, and I never got a facilities job when I was in Bible college. They never said, here's plumbing 101. They didn't, but I remember I got in charge of all these kind of things, and so I'm, I'm doing maintenance stuff, and I'm thinking, I never learned this. This is what I'm not supposed to, what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to preach, and people are supposed to listen to my words, and people are going to get saved, and all I'm doing is, you know, and literally going during the week and emptying out the dirty diaper pail that nobody wanted to get rid of, or, or taking, clearing a, pl a plug toilet that nobody wants to deal with, and this was like a good 50% of my job, and I was getting frustrated with it. 
And then I realized that this is the job that God had gave, given me. And this was a part of what it meant to follow Jesus into the career that God was calling me into. And I realized something in the process. And this is a shout out to Haley, if she's in here, if she wasn't in first service, and a shout out to Harold, who's overseeing our facilities. There's something very spiritual about the space that people use to connect with God. And this is when it first hit me. Because I realized all the things that I were do, was doing that thought, this is such a waste of my time and my ability and my skill, was setting up a facility so that people could encounter God and grow. And my mind started to change, and I started to realize when I'm setting up tables or I'm organizing chairs or whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it because in a few hours there's going to be a group of people here that don't need the distraction of a facility that's not functioning well so they can focus on why they're here, which is to encounter Jesus and have their lives changed. And when that, that switch flipped in my mind, I actually really enjoyed, and Kim will tell you this, and the staff will tell you this, I actually like organizing chairs and doing you know, movie things, because there's a lot of times I'll jump in, Harold goes, Pastor, don't do that. Oh yeah, the pastor can't possibly lift a finger to help. I like doing it, why? Because I can step back and look, at, look, there's a job well done. There's something satisfying in my soul about preparing. By the way, I didn't set up the chairs, Haley set up the chairs, okay? But there's something in me that really started to enjoy that. Why? Because the very job I was doing was what God was using to prosper and fulfill my life. And I enjoyed that when I hated it at first. See, if you start to see the bigger picture, what is God doing in your life? Whatever small role you think you play in an organization, look at the bigger picture of what you're accomplishing. What is that doing for other people? And how is God using that to prosper and bless and provide in your life? Then there's a third reality and this is very important in terms of understanding God's purpose for our career, is that God uses your work to reach others. I believe this is, in our world today, this is the primary reason for God allowing work to be shaped by the gospel, is that God is using your work to reach others. A couple passages of scripture to be reminded about the way God works through your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says this, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See what you're doing. See how you're doing it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, then verse 12. This is what Peter writes. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can now show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then verse 12 but be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give glory to God when he judges the world. That our work and our behavior around people who don't know Jesus is the way that we reflect the glory of who God is. That's how we point to Jesus. And I'm convinced that we, we if we can shift ourselves from Work is this thing over here that pays the bills that I have to tolerate so I can live the rest of my life. We will be changed people. We will actually see what God is doing. We'll actually see that all of my life is for the glory of God. All of my life is for God's purpose, not just compartments. I don't just show up and say, okay, for the next hour, I'm gonna do God's purpose and now I'm gonna check out and work. No, they are all together. They're all connected. And God has a purpose for your job. And one of the primary purposes is the person you work with. It's the person who's your boss. It's the per person who's the subordinate. It's the person who sits in the cubicle next to you. It's the person who drives in a vehicle with you. It's the person you work with every day. That's why God has you doing the job you're doing right now. Because the way that God reaches people is he sends people. 
And you may be like, I don't like my job, but God loves people and that's why you're there. He has you in, a re- in that position for a reason. And if you would move, remove yourself from just the work you do to the people God has placed around you, you'll see why God has you there. Because God has you there for a reason. Why? Because God loves people. That's why he sends Christians into the workforce. And that's why there's a part of me, I am, I, I'll be honest, I am jealous of m- most of you in this room. No offense to the church, but I work a Christian job. I have to fight my way out of the church because I'm surrounded by Christians. Not a bad thing, hard to reach people when you're around Christians all the time. But most of you live, in, you work in secular organizations and companies where you may be the only person who's a follower of Jesus. Praise God for you. That's how you reach people. And God has positioned you that way. And if you see it that way, then you need to start to see this year, is, we talked about this last week of year, about who's the person God's calling you to reach to begin a relationship. You don't have to be the perfect person. You don't have to be a raving evangelist. You just have to love people like God loves people. Care for other people when they're doing their job. Get into their personal life. Know what's going on. So I asked permission. Actually, I asked, asked Kim for forgiveness because I already told this story first service, but I asked for permission before this service so I'm not in trouble, okay? So I usually try to tell Kim and my kids when I talk about them because usually I like to ask permission. So if they say no, which they never do, anyway, they have that right. But one of the things that I know in my life, since Kim and I have been married, um, Kim has primarily worked secular jobs. She's done stuff in the church right now. She's doing some stuff in the church, but she's worked outside the church. And I've been jealous. I've lived vicariously through her because she gets in contact with all these people who don't know Jesus. And I've t- told bits and pieces of the story before, but when, when, uh, when we got married and then, uh, and then I went on staff at, the, at, at a church in Ventura and we moved here, Kim was working full-time at Azusa Pacific University. She st- kept that job for a little while commuting from Ventura and then she actually got another job here in Ventura. And she ended up working for one of the most successful businessmen in the state of California in the communications. In fact, at the time, uh, this is obviously many, many years ago, at the time he actually was the largest owner of payphone services in the entire state of California. Remember payphones, quarter, you know? And I did this, I did this first service when you dialed and everybody under 30 went, what is he doing? Dial? What is that? You know, dial or dial, right? So, but he, I mean, multimillionaire and wasn't the nicest guy to work for. Um, he, was, he was very accomplished and he knew it. And so he let everybody else know it around him, including his employees. And so Kim ended up uh, starting a position, then she ended up moving into his, to be his assistant. And so as his assistant, she was exposed to all kinds of things. And obviously, he was a businessman, which meant make money at any cost. And so she was a part of that. But he would always try to pull her in to his, his lack of integrity and compromise to make money, and she would never do it. She was always, no, that's not the way I'm going to do it. And so I remember when Kim would come home, I was just waiting. She's going to get fired. She's going to get fired because he, she's not going along with what he's doing. And actually, quite the opposite happened. He had so much respect for her because he knew she was a straight shooter, she was honest, and he also knew that she was a follower of Jesus, but he was an atheist. So he thought that was for the simple-minded folks like her and, and for me. So this, is the, this relationship went on for a, a little while, and then... Courtney Jordan came along, and Kim stepped out of the workforce for a while just to focus on being at home with the kids for the first number of years of their life. And then when she started to re-engage again, guess who called her for work? This guy did. He said, I want you, I'm, I'm doing another business. I'm, I'm, I'm getting more property. I'm doing this. Would you come in and think? I don't know. It was like three times he's actually called you to come back and keep coming back and keep coming back. And meanwhile, he's getting more wealthy and more wealthy and more wealthy. And through this relationship, he's had this amazing respect for Kim. And he knows that I'm a pastor, and he's met me, and he knows that we're Christians, but he's a, he's a self-proclaimed atheist. 
But it's interesting, when a self-proclaimed atheist is around a Christian, they start to change. I think I've shared this before. When we were living up in Oregon, his daughter was on a trip up into Oregon. She got into a major car accident. And because, in his mind, as an atheist, he thought, okay, who's the person I know in Oregon and who's a Christian? So he calls Kim. And this atheist asked Kim, a Christian, to pray for his daughter. That speaks volumes. Why? Because he trusted her. And then after when we came back down here, his, Kim had gotten to know his mom, who was also part of his company. And, and when she was getting it later in life, she's since passed away. But she, she, one night she was gripped with fear about death. So who did she call? She calls Kim. So Kim goes over to her house and leads her to Jesus. Why? Because they knew there's this one person in this whole organization that knows something that I don't know, that's a follower of Jesus. And so who's the person that gets the call? It's the person who's followed Jesus. Why did Kim work for this man? Because God loves him. And God loved his mom enough to put Kim there. I don't know what job you do. I don't know what organization you work for. But God has you there for a reason. And it isn't just for a paycheck. It's for God's purpose in your life and the purpose of God's purpose in the lives of others around you. And so if you and I start to shift and we start to look at our lives differently, to start to look at this thing called work is not just a compartment that's out here that I have to do, but it's actually part of God's purpose and mission in my life. It changes the way we see our lives. And that's why I love people. People will come to me, and I, I pray for people like this all the time. People come to me. A lot of people in our church work in, in, in the industry, either in music or in movies or television, and they all, always will say the same thing to me. It's such a dark industry. And I say, I know, and I'm so glad God put you there because there's light needs to come into the darkness. Yeah, it's hard to be in. It is. It's difficult. But God has you there for a reason, whatever you're doing. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. We're going to, I'm going to close in prayer here. But I want you to close your eyes because I want you to, to focus on a couple, a couple of things that are, are very important as, as we walk away from, from this morning. That God's wanting to bring a shift in our lives that if the gospel's true, which we believe it is, that God loves the world so much that Jesus comes in the world to reconnect us back to God, that's how we find our way back to God through Jesus, then that means every point of our life God has something to say about and God has a purpose for, including our job, our career, our work. And for you, some right now, maybe you're, you're at a season where maybe you're, you're going through maybe a disease or a disability that's kept you from work or, or maybe, and I want to dispel this in a moment, you're not working because you're taking care of kids because you're at home, which, by the way, you are working and you have a job and you have a purpose before God. But the things that we've talked about today, you need to understand, they apply to all aspects of our lives, not just our job. That ultimately everything is, is born out of the identity that we're a child of God Everything ultimately is a part, a part of God's purpose. Everything ultimately is about God's glory in this world, whether it's in a workplace, at home, or in our neighborhoods. So for each one of us today, God is calling us to see our lives differently. It isn't just about living our life for ourselves. It's about for something bigger, something greater. It's about God in our lives. And then for, for uh, the second thing I, I really believe is important, and I, I felt it last, last week when I spoke, and I feel like for this year, God is giving you one or two or a handful of people that he's already laid on your heart or is laying on your heart, and, and they may be in your workplace. And God is calling you to be the connection that they have between him and them. 
you're, the, you're that link. You're the one that's going to connect him to Jesus. And he's wanting you to take risks to do that. He's wanting you to love people around you. He's wanting you to change the way you look at your work environment. It might be your employer or your boss that you've struggled with, but God's calling you to work in such a way that you, you get their attention to see there's something different about you. Maybe it's a coworker that is just difficult to work. Maybe, maybe they've even sabotaged your work in the process, and you don't see them as a friend or even a coworker. You see them as an enemy. God's called you to reach them through love. So right now, I'm just going to ask you, would you allow the Lord to place on your heart and mind names and faces of people that you work with, that God, you know God is moving on your heart right now, that this is the year that you're going to branch out and you're going to see God's purpose fulfilled through your life, in your job, to help those people know how deeply God loves them and how deeply he desires for them to be reconnected back to him through Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of work. We thank you that you embedded in that in all of us from the beginning of time, that work is part of your plan for our lives. So Lord, help us to see today what we have not seen before, that Lord, you would help us to see that, you, that our job is your purpose. Our career is what you're desiring for us to do to live out your purpose and mission in the world. And for each of us who struggle with our job, would you give us patience? Would you give us insight? Would you give us favor so that we can do what we do in such a way, Lord, that ultimately glorifies you in all aspects of our lives, including our job? In Jesus' name.